You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. And so Genesis 9, verse 5 says, um, and for you uh, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. So he's like, if someone kills another human being, I will demand an accounting. Then he even says this, I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. And here's kind of the why. Verse 6 says, whoever sheds human blood, by human blood shall shall they be shall their blood be shed for, and here's the reason why we're reading this, for in the image of God, God has made humankind. And so let's pray this morning. Jesus, we come before you um, this morning thinking about the image of God and what that means for us. God, I do thank you that, that you have created us in your image, that you have allowed us to come and to study that. And especially this morning, Lord, thank you for letting us arrive safely. We do pray for those still coming, that they, they can come here. And God, we understand that the, the image of God inside of us is so valuable and so important. And so, God, we thank you. We worship you um, for all that you've given to us. And we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed! Amen. So I want to get really silly before we get really serious. Is that okay? Is it okay to be a little silly? Um, So I'm going to give you the top five list of, uh, what do I have? Top five list of things, oh there it was, top five list of things that stink. And you'll see where we're going with this in just a second. But top five list of things that stink. This is part my research, part the internet research that I did. Um, and, and so I'm sure you'll agree with most of these. Top five list of things that stink. Number five, B.O. sweat. Right? I mean, sorry to ruin your breakfast, but you'll see where we're going in the, for this in a second. Number four, girls, uh, do you know about the nail salon and how bad it stinks? Like the, the nail polish remover, you just like instant headache. So that's number four. Top five things of, uh, that stink. Number three, raw sewage. Mmm. <laughs> and why do they always need to say raw sewage? As it compared to other sewage that people are cooking up somewhere? What? Sick. Sick. Everybody say sick. Ugh. Okay, um... Top five things that stink. Number two, the ending of the TV series Lost. Hey, <laughs> see what I did there? I'm just kind of. Anyways, and the top five thing, the number one thing, in my opinion, that stinks is a can of rotting worms. And so that is, of course, why we have this phrase, open a can of worms. Um, and, and what we talk about when we say that figurative phrase, of course, is we talk about issues that uh, people are hot. They're hot issues. People have various opinions about. We're going to talk about several things today, which I imagine half of the room will feel one way, half of the room will feel another way about it. And so they're issues that people can get upset about. They're important issues, but they are like can of worm issues shoes. Have you ever smelled like a rotting? My dad had a boat when we were little, and there's like this container, and like under this tarp, we had found some worms that had been there for about a year and a half, and it was just, it was horrible. So the idea that what we're going to do today is open some can of worms is figuratively true, but I'll tell you why we're going to do that in just a minute, because we're not just stirring up the pot of, of debate just to stir up the pot. There is reason why we are doing this. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. You should give yourself a hand for being here. And the, you, you woke up, you saw the snow, and you're like, I'm still going to Sunday school. Yay! And so you did. And so all those other clowns that usually come but aren't here today, they're the fair weather Sunday schoolers, but you are the true Sunday schoolers. So just, you know, give yourself that big old pat on the back. And if you're listening via podcast, you should have been here. Anyways, um, uh, it's not that bad out. I mean, this is like the first of the first storm. The road's are already clear. So anyways, uh, welcome to Sunday School. If you are new, thanks for making this your very first Sunday. There's cards on all the tables. You could fill one of those out. Bring it to the nice people as you leave. They'll give you a CD. They'll tell you about The Mill, which is our main meeting on Friday nights for college and 20-somethings. And by the way, if you're not in your college or 20-somethings, that is perfectly okay. If you're older or younger than that, we welcome everybody in here. And so we are on this nine-month long topic. If you look at the tables, there's bookmarks. We are on this nine-month series of systematic theology. And if you go back in the podcast and listen, you'll hear some of the heart behind why we're doing this. Or some of you are probably around. Um, you remember 
how this, this order of systematic theology kind of helps us organize all things theological. And here we are into December, a couple months down the line, talking about humanity and the image of God, and that we talked last time how this, this Latin phrase, imago Dei, means the image of God, that God has made us as human beings in his image. We, we don't see any other scripture where it's like, oh, other animals are created also in the image of God, but we have something special about us, that God has made us special, and we joked last week about the Mr. Rogers saying you are special, but then we kind of internalized and say, yeah, all of us are special because of what God has made us in. We are valuable. We are, we are loved by God. Um, and so we have the image of God. You have the image of God. Look around. Everyone in here has the image of God. And so therefore, uh, last week we did a bunch of, were you here last week? Raise your hand if you were, uh, lots of you were here. We, we did quite Q&A kind of questions where you provided some questions concerning pretty hot topics about the image of God. And here they are listed. And so what we are going to do today is go through each and every one of these kind of open can of worm issues because people have different thoughts and debates on them or they're politically charged issues or there's debate somehow surrounding um, each of these issues. And so shall we begin the opening of cans, five cans of worms? Um, some of them we'll spend shor- a shorter amount of time on, um, like this first one, I think, slavery, we, we will uh, pr- pr- spend a shorter amount of time on. And I did organize them in, in, in order of how many questions I got about each one. So slavery, I only got one question, then capital punishment is like three, and then war is four, and then there's like a stack for abortion, and then even a huger stack. Is that a word, huger? more huge stack of, of for the abortion issue. So um, that's the order we're going to go in them. And I hope to um, do something here with the issue of slavery that we, we might begin to understand. And that is that we as Christians living in America in 2012 have kind of come to a conclusion that slavery is wrong, right? Anybody own slaves? Okay, I didn't see. If you put your hand up, you're like, I have some. Just kidding. I don't have any slaves. But there is, of course, uh, it is still an issue. But I, I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a moral issue for us sitting in this room. We would say, yeah, we've all kind of realized that, that we, we don't do slavery today. But that is very different compared to just maybe 150 years ago, if we think about um, the, the civil war that was raging in our country over the issue of, of, of slaves, African-American slaves. And so we do need to consider that just 150 years ago, there were these, these white Christians who had black slaves, and they had Bible verses to support their owning of slaves. Is there slavery in the Old Testament? If you read it, you would see, yeah, there, there's, there's slaves, there's slave owners. There is some um, regulations about like, oh, if you have a Hebrew slave, then, then they're there to work six years. And on the seventh year, you are to set them free. But if they want to stay, they can. Then they'll be your slave for life, but, but you have to treat them fairly. And when you set a slave free, you are to set them free with, with abundance and so that they go not as, as poor, disenfranchised, but they go with something to start a life with. So there are regulations, but there is slavery in the Old Testament. And there's two, in fact, uh, verses in the New Testament that say something um, like, slaves obey your masters. And so people living just 150 years ago, maybe in the south, maybe at the, at the height of the Civil War, had Bible verses. These Christians were like, look, there's slavery in the Bible. Look, it says slaves obey your masters. It's perfectly okay for me to have a slave. Um, but we would say, well, maybe there's, there's a biblical antecedent. I'm going I'm to use that term later on too. Um, but there's this idea that, that truth exists in this matter even while there's something else being said. So even while it says slaves obey your masters, we also find biblical passages where it's better for a slave to be set free, where it's better for freedom and equality and recognizing the image of God in both whites, blacks, and every other race, that that is somehow more important and more valuable than making some money off of hiring, or not even hiring, than owning slaves. So we as a civilization, we as a society, we as a Christian kingdom have come to this understanding that slavery is not the best, that there can be a better way to do society. There can be a better way, and that is to set slaves free. Um, And so we've come to that conclusion. And so um, everybody agree with that? We're like, yeah, okay, good. And so what do we, so the question was this, uh, what should we do 
with the issue of sex trade and human trafficking in the U.S. and other countries. And so this idea that there, are, there is slavery today, and it looks very different. It's not like, hey, welcome to my house. Here's my wife and kids, and check out these cool slaves I have. High five. Like, what? No, you're going to go to jail for that for a very long time if, you're, if you have slaves and high-fiving people. Um, no, uh, the, the slaves part, not the high-five part. Anyways, um, you knew that. Um, so there, but there is this issue of human trafficking, and trafficking has always, in my mind, been confusing because it has the word traffic in it, and so I'm like, oh, that means you're like buying and selling and moving and shipping humans around, and that's what human trafficking in is, which it could be that, but it, it could be a localized thing. Someone in a local area that, that could take poor and destitute people and say, hey, I got a job for you working in this factory, and they're like, oh, okay, I need a job. But then it turns into um, you actually can't leave now. You have to live here. And it's 15 people to a room, and we're barely going to give you enough food or water. And maybe some of you are going to be sold um, as prostitutes. And maybe uh, you're just not allowed to leave, and you're, you're making less than a dollar a day. And we would say that's human trafficking. That's human slavery as we know it today. And it's an underground thing. And it's something that, uh, according to some statistics, it's right under drugs. It's the most profitable, illegal thing going on in our world today, one of the most horrible things going on. And so what should we do as the church? Well, we should do everything to stop it, everything to raise awareness, everything to say that is wrong, because we have, as, as a society said, there's this biblical antecedent that even though there's some slavery in the Bible and verses like slaves obey your masters, there's a better way. We as a society, we don't need slaves. We can say that um, it is better to set slaves free and for equality and to recognize the image of God in males females, black, white, Asian, everything. So that's where we kind of stand in the issue of slavery. And I I don't think that there would be, I don't think that that issue is opening a can of worms. But here we go um, on the other issues to open the can of worms to talk about things that there will be debate in here um, about. Uh, Amongst evangelicals, there is debate over these next one, two, three, four issues, capital punishment, war, uh, abortion, and uh, homosexuality. There is debate in, in, amongst us, there is debate, uh, especially in the world, us and, and, and secular opinion. And so why are we opening up these issues? Well, A, it's kind of a part of the systematic theology. We, want, we don't just skip the image of God and its implications because it's hard. Well, we, we do need to talk about these things. But I want to preface it today. And if you hear me saying anything uh, as we get rolling into these issues, and some of you are like, oh, I don't think that. Oh, man, I, don't, I disagree, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, as soon as you remember this, I'm going to say two things. Two things. Everybody hold up two fingers if you want, just to get this idea that I'm going to say two things. Okay, put them down. That's silly. It's just something I thought of. Um, first issue is what we're going to do is talk about um, the issue and, and, and probably the issue uh, on, from the side of, a, of an evangelical American perspective, but we're also going to talk about um, the other side of the issue, to, to learn each other's opinions, to, uh, to know our view and to know the other view, not just to, listen guys, the the world thinks that Christians are dumb, closed-minded, that we are the hateful ones, that we are the ones closing our ears and not listening to reason. And so um, in here today, we're going we're gonna to hear kind of the side that probably you have, and then we're going to hear the other side, because I think we need to, as, as, a, as Christians in our culture, we need to learn these things. And so, um, so that's, that's A, the, the first reason what we're going to be doing in here and kind of why. And the second thing is, is to get this bigger idea. I put up this phrase, forgiven to forgive. And I think that if, if we as humans in the, made in the image of God recognize that, that, that we are uh, made in the image of God, I had, a, I had the notes. But on the back of your notes, if you got notes when you came in, there's a sweet quote. And the sweet quote is from uh, Alistair McGrath, an Irish theologian, an Oxford Irish theologian. And he said this, if you're looking at it, it says, within each of us exists the image of God, however disfigured and, and corrupted by sin it may presently be, God is able to recover this image through grace as we, have, or as we are conformed to Christ. And so, um, so if you hear me saying anything, the second point here is that we need to love and recognize the image of God even in a murderer, even in a, a woman who has had an abortion. We need to recognize the image of God even in a homosexual, even in um, people that are um, committing sins and war crimes. We need to recognize the image of God in them and the ones that they are um, taking advantage of or hurting. And so, um, so that's kind of this bigger point. If we leave here thinking, 
oh, I'm also in need of forgiveness. I'm also in, in need of society recognizing the image of God in myself. Then, then we're going to do a great thing. So those are the two big things, and I'll, I'll maybe remind us of those in a second. Um, but the first issue is capital punishment. And what capital punishment means is, is it's sometimes called the death penalty. Should we as a society have the death penalty? And I got four questions last week about the death penalty. Um, capital punishment. In the Old Testament, it was lawful to kill the adulteress and the others who broke the Mosaic law. How does that reflect to now? Was it okay then and not now? Um, capital punishment. When does the protection of the potential victims who bear the image of God come more important of a priority to the protection of the convict who also bears the image of God. I think what that question means is like, okay, so if someone has murdered someone, do we just set them free? And like, yeah, go do it again. Well, what about the image of God uh, and the people that are put at danger of that person? I think is what the question's asking. Um, and then this one is, uh, if life is a sacred thing, then why is it capital punishment should be supported and abortion not? Great question. Uh, finally, a capital punishment in Exodus, God says, thou shalt not kill. And then also a few chapters later, it says, do not allow a sorcerer to live. And so to kill them. And so how are we to understand those things? Um, and, and do we as Christians have an opinion on capital punishment? And I, I would say in this room, I'm sure some of you would say I'm supporting, I do support the, the death penalty. And some of you would say, I don't support the death penalty. Should we take a vote real quick just to get this can opened quicker? <laughs> okay, so if you, if you had to vote, and I'm sure lots of you are like, man, I've never really thought about this issue. I, I'm not really sure where I stand. Um, let's just say you had to vote. Um, let's just say you could change your mind later, which is, which is totally doable. So everyone, if you had to vote, how many, the first one will be how, how many of you are for the death penalty? For the death penalty, okay. And how many of you are, put your hands down, how many of you are against the death penalty? Gosh, if I had to guess, it looks like, did you see it? It looked like, it looked like it was 50-50. Did it look like that to you? It looked like it was about 50-50. How many of you didn't vote? Be honest. Okay, good. A lot, does it look like the majority of you voted then? Awesome. So it looked like, if I, if I gauged that correctly, just with the eye, I didn't count, but it looked like 50% of you were for capital punishment, 50% of you were against capital punishment, which means there opens the can of worms, because not only is this a hot issue, not only is this an issue that various states are voting on, Colorado right now uh, does have the death penalty, um, but, but li- like technically this is literally a life and death issue. For, our, for the criminals on death row. And so if you're either for or against, it's an important issue. It's a life, um, it's an issue of life and death. And so let's consider it real quick. Um, in the Old Testament, there is capital punishment throughout the Old Testament, again and again and again. I had some free time and some evenings this week, and I was able to listen to uh, a huge chunk of the Old Testament. Anybody else a favor of Bible on MP3 and just sitting back and listening to it? There's only like two hands. You should do it. It's fun. I listened to the message, and you could just listen to a huge chunk of Scripture in, in just a little while. So I listened to Leviticus, all of Numbers, and like half of Deuteronomy, and kind of got this bird's eye view this week of the law. And again and again and again, it's like, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. You were once slaves. I am going to purify you, and then you are going to take the land that I am going to give you, the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's, it's like an awesome land. But in this time that you're in the desert, I'm going to purify you. I'm going to make you my people. So if there's sin amongst you, get rid of it. If there's, if there's an adultery, uh, adulterous person amongst you, get rid of them. And of course, in the desert, you know, you kick them out would be the death penalty anyway, so kill them. If there's, some, if there's a murderer among you, kill them. If there's um, even like, if, if someone works on Saturday, the Sabbath, kill them. And you're like, wow, gosh, that's, that's intense. And you almost get this, at least as I was getting this bird's eye view of things, it's like, is, is God just kind of like making these like strong uh, punishments so, to, to warn people? Kind of like, man, if my mom found out that, you know, whatever, she would kill me. 
It's like, well, your mom's not really going to kill you. So I almost wonder, like, was it, okay, are, the, are these really the, the real law? Or are they just kind of hyperbic laws about, yeah, you will die if you, if you work on a Saturday on the Sabbath. And then you get to Leviticus 15. You could write that down and go read it later. Leviticus 15, where there is a man who is out collecting wood on the Sabbath on a Saturday. Anybody go out and collect a Christmas tree yesterday on a Saturday? Yeah, I did too. Sweet. So, so just like this guy, um, kind of making light of it, but I remember reading it, uh, or didn't, remember listening to it this week as I was getting this bird's eye view uh, of the Levitical law, and it said there was a man who was found collecting wood on a Saturday, and so he's brought before Moses, and God tells Moses, yeah, kill him, and so the people gathered together and killed him, and, and God was like, make this uh, an example. Kill him. Kill the evil among you. Wipe it out because I'm going to give you a land flowing in milk and honey and you need to be purified. Um, and so it's just like, wow, gosh, that's a little intense for a, of a punishment to, to work on Saturday and then the, the death penalty. And you think about all these Old Testament principles of, of, of God purifying his people. And then you get to another passage of Scripture. You turn many, many pages and you get to Jesus, this uh, person who maybe in some ways there's comparison of Jesus like Moses going up on the, up on the, the, the mountain and giving people law, the Beatitudes. And he says, you have heard it said, um, this is Matthew five twenty one. You've heard it said to a people long ago, you should not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So basically, he's just quoting the law. You've heard it said, if you murder, you'll be subject to judgment. What judgment? The death penalty. But then Jesus says, but I tell you, anyone that is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So Jesus, like, takes it a notch up, and by notch, I mean, like, infinity up, and just says, if you have ever been mad at your brother or sister, which we have all been guilty of doing, well, then you are also in subject of judgment. So then it puts us all on the same level of like, oh, I can't just point my finger at a murderer and say, he's bad and I'm good, I'm a perfect angel. It's like, no, we're all in need of forgiveness. And then you get to a passage like John 8, where a woman who is caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. And what's the penalty in the Old Testament again and again for adultery? Well, it's the death penalty. And, And so Jesus says, the, the statement that I'm sure lots of you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, to, to stone, to kill this woman who has committed adultery, that the death penalty. So Jesus kind of says that, and of course, is anyone without sin? No. And so no one picks up a stone to kill this woman, and, and Jesus says, go, you're, you're free. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, here we have different things going on. We have the death penalty. We have Jesus saying, uh, whoever's perfect gets to, just gets to be the one that kills them. Of course, there's no one perfect. So what are we supposed to do with that? Um, I wanted to get, get the, the can opened a little bit more, maybe, of, of worms, and just kind of think through it. I want this to be a time of thinking through this issue that is a life and death issue. And so I want to give you a discussion question very quickly. Um, so I would encourage you to jump right in and kind of uh, get, get the ball rolling with this. But uh, there is the death penalty in the United States. Forty-three people were killed last year. Um, Colorado, it does have the—we do execute criminals. Um, other countries are even— uh, execute even more people. I was watching this documentary of China the other day, and I was going through like different people, and it, it, tra- it traced this day of this lady who was a cop, and she found, she was doing a, a car search, and she found some heroin on this taxi driver, and they took the taxi driver away, and the lady was like, yeah, that guy will, he, he'll be put to death for this sin, and I was like, what? He just had, oh, he just had some smack in his car, and I was going to die? Because it's like I realized heroin is a very serious drug, and 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 I realized if you've ever you know known someone that was addicted, then it's like it's the most horrible thing. But the death penalty, oh my gosh! And so China, I think, leads uh, the world. There's something it's unpublished, but there's something like maybe four thousand people a year are put to death in China for various uh, criminal offenses like drugs or murder or, or the like. And so, here's the discussion question for you. I want to, like, put you on a side of a room just because I think sometimes it's easier to do it that way. Um, so, so you could change sides of the room if you really want to. But I imagine, I just want you to think through arguments for and against the death penalty. So if you're on the right side of the room, what are the arguments for the death penalty? If you're on the left side of the room, quickly, what are the arguments uh, against the, the death penalty? And obviously from a Christian perspective, um, I think there's often arguments of, 
Um, there, there's arguments just of like, um, like practical arguments. They're like, oh, maybe it's more expensive to do this or to do that in, in, in reference to the death penalty. It's like, well, let's, let's lay aside those arguments for now and just say, well, what's right and what's wrong first before we get into practical arguments? Hopefully that's just like a primer to, to get into more of a theological issue here. But uh, so that's your assignment. Think about arguments for and against. I'll give you like just like two minutes. Ready, get set, write some down. Go. All right, I'm going to come out with the mic and uh, remind us that, um, that we are, as Christians, I always kind of hate the word debate. Um, I, I much rather like the word discru- discussion because it involves listening to the other side and not personally attacking each other. Um, you guys have always been good in the past, and so I don't know that I need to make that comment. But um, which side wants to go first? I'll, I'll get a comment from one side, then go to the other side. And then, and then go to the other side. So each side gets to say something twice. Anybody? I see Josh. Okay, Higgins. So you guys are on the side of pro-death penalty, right? Okay, okay, go ahead. Uh, imagine that. Higgins has an opinion. Um, so uh, as far as pro-death penalty goes, um, when execution happens, um, it's not done by individuals. Uh, if someone becomes a vigilante, takes justice into their own hands, and kills someone, that's still murder. But I think in terms of the death penalty, that's justice carried out by the state. It may be individuals acting on behalf of the state, but it's, so it's still not the state. Murder. It's not murder. It's a different it, it's, definition. It's justice. It's, it's to show that there is, we are a civil society, yeah. and there are rules that you follow. There are consequences for your actions. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's why I am pro-death penalty. Okay, good. And then I'll come over here. Hopefully someone will be able to represent and, and just say something. Yes, thank you so much. Well, so sometimes you just wonder if... Because it's... It, it, anyways, go ahead. Go ahead. So we came up with the idea that if it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, if one person kills several people, how does that one life equal the other lives that were killed? Yeah, is it really justice? Right. Does that really, if they're, I always heard if it's an eye for an eye, then wouldn't there just be a bunch of blind people going around? <laughs> is the saying. Good. So does, does that really do justice? Good. Anybody else from, well, I'll, I'll come back to you because you were anti, right? Okay, so maybe, well, okay, Josh in the back, and then, and then I'll come to you, Chris, we'll just, we'll do, just to get the order right. All right, Josh in the tech booth. All right, so one of the questions, I guess, was um, dealing with the uh, Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not kill. And then a couple chapters later it says, you know, don't let a sorcerer live. Ten Commandments are talking to individuals, you as a person. Society has its own set of rules that God laid down um, in, in Exodus and Leviticus with the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the, um, as as a society, as a nation, you have peers that are appointed to lead and direct how the government or the the, the nation works, and so it, you are judged. Modern day, you are judged by your peers, guilty or not guilty, based on your actions and then the consequences of those actions. Yeah, so uh, he's almost saying, let's let the jury decide in each and every individual case what the penalty should be. Let's not just do an overarching thing saying this penalty or that penalty for this or that, I think is what he's saying. Um, Yes, Chris, you still want to share? So this is uh, anti-death penalty. Um, I guess the primary reason for anti-death penalty would be um, uh, compassion. there's still a lot of, uh, if, if we just end it right there and then, and he's dead, it's done. But yeah. if there was time, then maybe prayer and maybe some other stuff might bring him back to a place where he might be saved. Sure. Um, yeah. And, of course, that's all situational, yeah. too. Because like, if somebody's killing somebody and we're out in the woods and there's no place to put him, well, then uh, he's got to go down. So that sucks. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what you do on the weekends, Chris, but... <laughs> oh, just kidding. Um, so, yeah, for me, the, the biggest... Let's see, the pro-death penalty side. For me, in, in coming to conclusions with... 
the image of God is that if someone takes away the image of God inside of another person, then that needs to be treated very seriously, like the verse says, uh, um, that, that, that says, if you cannot take away the image of God. If you do, you shed blood, then your blood will be shed. And then I think the biggest argument for um, the, the anti-death penalty is, is, for me, it's like, well, maybe we have put to death people, and you could go and research this, but the, but the U.S. government put out a, a survey of like, yeah, we've killed these people in the past, but it seems like these eight and maybe more were actually innocent because of new findings and DNA testings. It's like, oh gosh, here's, here, we've done something totally permanent and killed another human being in the sight of justice, and yet they weren't the guilty one. Someone else did it. And then it's like, oh gosh, we, we as a society have killed someone. And it's very, I think it's a very rare case. I think that's why um, the, our judicial system is the way it is, to make very sure that the, the guilty person... Um, that is put to death is actually guilty, but it has happened, and you could you could research it and and just know that yeah our our judicial system isn't perfect, and so um, to me those are the two arguments on each side, and I'm sure that raises maybe more questions. Maybe some of you that rose your hand for one or the other have now changed your mind just after thinking about it for a few minutes. But I would encourage you to to reconsider, to go back and and think about this, and it is an important issue. And it is an important issue about the, how, how, what it, the image of God means inside of us. So, moving right along to um, an easier topic. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, in some ways, harder. Um, and that is war, the ju- just war, torture. You ask these questions. Uh, how is war justifiable? Uh, what, uh, what would be a biblically justified war? When is just war justified? Uh, what makes a just war is, uh, is, and then it says, huh, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. It's like the song or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, what do we do about war? And I wanted to start with uh, the second thing up here is, is torture and, and talk about it for just a second. And it's a little brutal to talk about what torture is and, and this, uh, this study that I found. But I, I just want us to reexamine um, things in light of... Um, in light of what the image of God is. And if we consider torture, um, torture by definition is severe pain uh, to another human being. It it is everywhere illegal by international law. By definition, it is horrendous, horrible. Um, And and so there was this study that was done that just asked, could torture be justifiable to, um, what did it say? Could war be justifiable to uh, suspected Terrorist. So it's not even a terrorist, but maybe someone who's expected to be a terrorist. And uh, it's on uh, the Pew Forum of Religion and Public Life. Um, had the survey: Is war ever? Is, excuse me. Is torture ever justifiable? And it wasn't. Is this torture or is that torture? It was just: Is torture ever justifiable? And it seemed like eighteen um, percent of white evangelicals. And if you're evangelical, if you're not white, then that's, that's maybe good for according to this survey. Um, but 18% of white evangelicals, that's most of us in the room, I gather, uh, said that uh, it, torture could be used sometimes um, and, or often, and then 44% said it can sometimes be justified. And so that adds up to 62% of white evangelicals think that torture could be okay on suspected terror. It's like, well, maybe they don't understand what torture is. Maybe they don't understand that, well, you know that like poking out someone's eye with a hot poker or cutting off fingers or genitals or boiling someone's arm in a pit of oil is torture. Then how is that like justifiable to a suspected terrorist. It's like, yeah, they look Muslim, so let's, let's cut off things until they confess. Like, doesn't that put us back into the Middle Ages? So I just, maybe just to rethink this thing just a little bit, um, and I realize I'm probably talking to 62% of you um, that are perfectly okay with, like, cutting off a woman's breast and, like, cutting out her tongue, um, but, but maybe not. Hopefully not. Um, uh, I, I realize that's a little graphic, but th- we're, we're talking about pretty graphic things about torture. And, and just to rethink that, is if, this, if an individual who is even our enemy has the image of God, what does that mean? Well, let's not take shortcuts. Let's not do things that are unrecognizable. Uh, let's not do things that in a hundred years will be laughed at and be like, gosh, yeah, the Middle Ages, um, weird, horrible. Um, so anyways, not to get all braveheart on you, but let's move right along. Um, 
to war. Of course, war is throughout the Old Testament. It's, um, uh, it's not, not just sanctioned by God, but sometimes ordered by God. You, Israelites, go into the land uh, uh, that I've chosen for you. Kick out and kill the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. Wipe them out, destroy them, and take the land I have given you. I mean, that's war. Uh, and so um, what are we supposed to do with that? Do we, do we, are we like, yeah, as Christians, as this kingdom, if we want something from another, another nation, we should look at the Old Testament and realize we can go get it because God sanctifies that sometimes and sometimes orders it. Or should we, should we be in the light of maybe New Testament principles of like love your enemy, do good to those who persecute you, um, blessed are the peacemakers, um, which has led some Christians to become pacifists. Some whole don- denominations, like the Mennonites, have become pacifists, which means in no circumstance is violence ever allowed, even if, you know, blank happens, even if nation invades, even if um, people come into your home and are, are killing your family. No point is, is, is violence okay. And that's a pretty extreme position. And so there's other positions out there that are like, well, Jesus did say, um, and people always, I say this verse, and you know, people are like, well, where is that verse? So uh, if you're interested in this, write it down. It's Luke 22:36, and it's Jesus at the Last Supper. And he says, if you don't, if, if, but if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go buy one. So here's Jesus, although he says, you know, love your enemies, he's saying, go buy a sword. And what do you do with swords? Well, you kill people. That's, that's what they're for. That's the, the tool, the instrument of, of war and death in the ancient world. And so Jesus does say, go buy one, protect yourself. And so how could a war be justified? Well, there is just war theories, and I'll let you research that if it's something you're interested in. It goes back to Augustine and, and these, these ideas of a, a war must be, there's usually like eight principles. A war must have a just cause, just authority, be the last resort, and so on and so forth, be carried out by just means. Um, I'll let you research that um, yourselves. But, but to be rethinking this idea of, of the image of God even in our enemies, to be rethinking this idea of, of the image of God even in the people that are, are wanting to destroy and hurt us, let's, let's, let's go about life and even war in a just way and knowing that they, as well as us, have the image of God. So um, we're moving pretty quickly now because there's, there's two more things that we want to talk about. Um, the next is abortion. And so um, here's the, the, question, the questions that you guys gave, and then I'm going to invite some uh, the guest speakers uh, to speak for like five minutes. The, the Dr. Steve Foley and Dr. Diane Foley are going to come to tell us a little bit about uh, this issue because they, they really are experts in their fields. So it's questions like this. I'll read them very quickly. In the case of a woman who may likely die, uh, is, is abortion okay? Uh, what are the main arguments for pro-choice? Uh, what, at what point do we have a soul? Do babies go to heaven? Uh, how do you can convince a person who doesn't believe an unborn person is a person? Uh, when does life begin? And when uh, uh, um, it, does the fetus have a soul, basically, is the gist of that question, which I think is a very important issue, uh, especially about the image of God. And so I, I've invited the Foley's. This is Dr. Stephen Foley. This is Dr. Diane Foley. And you probably, you recognize them, right? They're, they've been around the mill in the Mill Sunday School, and um, yeah, come on over, guys. I like how we try to cover subjects that could take a whole semester. And, and five, we just throw them in five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we didn't get our video, so I'm going to draw you a picture. So this is the, I'm an OBGYN, my wife's a pediatrician. You know what an OBGYN so, is, right? Yeah, all the girls do. Yeah, sure. the guys are just yeah. like, what does that mean? <laughs> so. D- don't draw anything dirty, Dr. Foley. Uh, well. <laughs> Can you see that? Anybody recognize that? This is the guy part. <laughs> I just I just finished saying. <laughs> this didn't work very well. I know. This is the girl part over here. So, <laughs> okay. No, that that's a sperm. My wife's telling me it looks like a penis. It's a sperm. Oh, sorry. You did say it's the guy's <laughs> part, so I. That's Sorry about said. that. Can you say penis? Yeah. Is it okay to say penis? <laughs> so, so I'm a doctor too, but not a real doctor, so it's hard for me to say that word. So, now everybody, if you don't know how these things get together, then you need to see Joe after, <laughs> after Sunday school class. 
but there's 23 chromosomes in this part and 23 chromosomes in this part. These guys get together, they form a person. So after, after, the, after the sperm fertilizes the egg, never again is there any input in from the outside into the production of the human, okay? That's it. You have 46 chromosomes, that's the DNA, that's the tract, everything grows from there. So you can make this whole subject biologically very complicated or you can make it very easy because nothing at this point changes from here on. Now, location changes, the, the um, uh, ability for this to survive on its own you know, changes the, whether or not the, the baby's in the uterus or whether or not the baby's a two-year-old, you know, which most two-year-olds can't survive on their own either. You know, all those arguments of when does life begin, really, you know, if <clears throat> my argument is it begins here at conception and treating the, the fertilized, you know, egg is when life really begins. And I think that... Um, probably there, there are two main arguments that people tend to have. Some people say life begins at conception. Some people say life begins at fertilization or implantation when the baby, the fertilized egg is implanted in the uterus, and that's usually about, oh, somewhere about a week or so down from age. But here's the thing. These are the kinds of arguments that you have to decide ahead of time what you believe, and then based on that one belief, then everything else follows that. So the basic belief we're talking about here is that we have been created in the image of God. This was God's design. So creation occurred when the sperm comes together with the egg and makes a new person created at that point. So from that point on, according to God, that person is a person created in the image of God. Now, there's a lot of scripture that talks about this too. Probably the one that is quoted the most is Psalm 139. And if you haven't read that recently, I would challenge you maybe this afternoon to read that chapter because it is amazing. It talks about the fact that you saw me in my mother's womb. You put me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Just an example of that, and I'm going to have this here, and I, we couldn't decide if we should pass it around or let people come up and um, look at it later, but this is a perfectly formed baby the size of a 12-week Baby. It takes 40 weeks for a baby to develop and be born. This is 12 weeks. Completely wow. formed. The only thing that will change from now on is how big the baby gets. This is the size that is legal for abortion in every state in our country. Wow. 12 weeks. Some abortion is legal much later. But in every single state, it's legal at this size. Okay, so again, there's something to think about. Now, I think that there are some biblical scholars that say that, well, the New Testament doesn't really talk much about abortion or life. There's a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament. Well, the argument for that, I think, is, first of all, do you remember what happened when Elizabeth came to visit Mary? Mm-hmm. Remember the passage about the baby yeah. leaping in the womb? Okay, there's some definite evidence there that, that they believe that life began before birth, for sure. But there's also some thought that the Hebrew culture was so um, different than the Roman culture at that time that it was just an assumption that life was protected in the womb. And that's why the New Testament didn't really speak much about it because it was just such a um, horrible practice to think about getting rid of a baby that was developing. And there's some background information and reading that we can leave that if you all are interested in looking at that further that you can study that to help with that. I don't think that too many people are concerned. Maybe there's not much discussion about when life begins, but I think there's some issues that come up that we want to talk about here, and that's the issue that abortion is wrong, life starts at conception, but there are a couple instances where it might be okay. And here's where I think that the can of worms happens. Mm -hmm. And what is that? That is in the case of rape or incest or in the life of the mother. Would you agree those are the can of worms that many times people discuss? And so we want to talk about those just a little bit. Um, why don't you talk about life of the mother? Okay. Um, let, let me, I'm going to step back just for a second. You know, you're making, making us go very fast here. We could talk <laughs> a long time about these issues. But being an OBGYN, typically OBGYNs are ones that do abortions. And 
as a resident, I didn't have to do abortions, but they asked me to observe abortions. And it was a fascinating thing to me. These, this guy did abortion on babies that were about 18 weeks, so about four times bigger than that, that kiddo there. And, and he would, <coughs> the, so the uh, doctor would break the bag of water, and before he would break the bag of water, though, he'd always go, you know, you're going to feel something warm, but it's not you. And I just wanted to scream, that's the argument for abortion, that it is you, but you, he couldn't follow through with that argument all the way to the end. He had to come up with another excuse, but just, just a story. But the life of the mother is, is kind of one of those things everybody wants to throw out there, but there is never an instance that I'm aware of that you have to choose one or the other. You have to choose both or the baby. And there, I've had many instances in my practice where the baby had to be delivered, tubal pregnancy, different things that happen, and, in, and if you don't do that, then they both die. Because if the mom dies, the baby dies. So that's kind of, you know, the, everybody wants to throw that argument out there, but it's really a very mute argument. It's very, and, and I've never been in a situation, I've been pro-life my whole life, you know, where that was a moral dilemma for me. You know, I've delivered babies that have died because I delivered them. You know, but if I didn't deliver them, the mom was going to die and the baby was going to die. So that's that's the argument. You know that I don't know if it's an argument, but that's that's no. the instance of that. So. I think the other one, rape and incest, and again, I think that that became an issue in this last election. If you remember that, an mm -hmm. issue particularly in the state of Indiana, probably cost that senator his race um, for the for the political party. But I think the issue that's really important here is to understand the crime that was committed was the rape. Okay, that's the crime. The fact that there is a baby as a result of that, there needs to be protection. You talk about a person that has the least amount of protection in our society, it's the unborn baby. You talk about someone being helpless and unable to fight or speak for themselves, right? It's the oh. unborn baby. And so again, it's not that that's not a difficult situation. It is not that there is not compassion that is needed for that woman that is going through that situation or even an incest. But the fact of the matter is that by committing another act against the baby isn't going to help the mother walk through this situation. And there are no studies that have shown that a woman who has an abortion as a result of a rape is emotionally any better off than if she carried that baby to term. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it's very, you know, the compassion that comes in and walks alongside of someone in an awfully difficult situation. I'm not minimizing the situation. Yeah. It's tragic. But it doesn't mean that you make a choice or a decision or condone something that is likely to make that situation much worse. Yeah. Was that too long? That's awesome. Sorry. Thank you guys for sharing. <clears throat> Yeah, so they're sitting right here. They, by the way, you see them in a lot at the Mill Sunday School, and they're they're kind of mentors in a lot of ways to so many of us here. So, um, yeah, feel free to, to ask them questions. She has, she'll have that little uh, the the ba the twelve week old baby um, there as well if you if you want to see it. And so uh, we have like two minutes left um, to to just to to scratch the surface of homosexuality, sexuality, polygamy. Um, and I, 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 feel like, um, um, I, I feel like I'll just talk for two minutes and then we'll end. And um, what we'll say is, is, is barely enough to, to talk about these things. But um, to review the idea of, of the image of God, we have to say, um, as we were talking about this very important issue of homosexuality, that homosexuals have the image of God and and I think um, so. Th that's the preface statement. Um, and to, to to move right along, I know we're, we we've jumped around a, a bunch, and it may be jarring now to talk about something and, and something so quickly. Um, but there, there's a few arguments. The, the first is that uh, if a homosexual is homosexual, then they were born with that. And to me, that argument is is kind of like, well, that 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 in itself doesn't make it right because we're all born with sin. It's like. Well, a heterosexual is born heterosexually, so that means they could just have sex with as many people as they want or be polygamous. Well, we would say, no, it, it doesn't 
go like that. Um, and, and we'd say something about the arguments. And, and so I would encourage you, this is an issue that I think we as Christians um, hide from, and it's an issue that we as Christians are seen as the hateful ones. We as Christians are seen as the closed-minded ones. And so I would encourage you this week to, to look at arguments of why there are liberal Christians who think that abortion is, or excuse me, that why there are liberal Christians who think that homosexuality is okay. And some of the, some, the I think the, the majority of that boils down to as being like, well, isn't that something like the issue of slavery? How we once did something um, and now we need to evolve as a society and realize that slavery is wrong. Well, once maybe homosexuality was considered wrong, but now we need to, in the reverse way, think that, well, maybe a loving gay relationship is okay. And for that, I, would, I, would, I fall back on this idea of a biblical antecedent. Is there something in the Bible like there was with slavery? If you look at slavery, you still see ideas of slavery and freeing of slaves um, being a good thing. So slavery being wrong, free, freeing of slaves being a good thing. Is there a biblical antecedent for homosexuality be, to be considered wrong in all of these different passages? But some passage saying, well, maybe it's okay. And I, for one, don't, don't see that. And so in Scripture, I, I rely on, I would write down Romans 1 if this is a passage that is often considered. It's, it's one, if, it's, if this issue is one that interests you, then read Romans 1. And it really, for me, that passage is the one that, that doesn't have too much, it just, it goes to this core of, of what homosexuality is, and it says that, um, that, that women and men exchange relationships with, one, with, with the opposite sex for unnatural ones with each other, and, and to me, that, that, there's the New Testament verse that, that goes on to say, there's really not a biblical antecedent here for, for, for like the gay, like the slavery issue to be okay for today because maybe it wasn't okay, but uh, maybe it was okay, but now it is okay. Um, I don't see the antecedent there um, with the homosexuality. And then moving on to this final statement of uh, what about gay marriage? Um, to me, that seems like a different issue to say, okay, well, maybe homosexuality is, is wrong because of these scripture passages, but what about giving the right to marry to, to gay people? There are, that is the can of worms issue, I think, for today amongst Christians, because there's Christians, evangelicals, who would say, well, maybe we should be pro-marriage for the gays because we have that right. Well, maybe a gay person should have that right. And then there's uh, some of uh, the evangelical movement that says, no, we need to protect family. Um, I'll, I'll just say, um, maybe I feel like some of us are feeling what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.12 when he says, um, 1 Corinthians 5.12 when he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? God will judge those outside of the church. Um, is there a difference between what, what happens in the government as, as opposed to what happens in church government? I think so. And so there's where this issue becomes divided. And so we end with going back to these two original points. It's kind of, it feels, at least in my mind, feels like a whirlwind of all these issues being brought up and not having enough time to talk about them, but, but needing to, and so not wanting to ignore them. So what we did today in, on various issues was to talk about both sides. And I'll leave you with this thought of this, this idea of the image of God in all of us, that we have been forgiven um, and so we are to go out and to forgive. We, we have to recognize that the murderer, that the homosexual, that the, that the mom who has an abortion, that, um, that, that even horrible people doing horrible things and owning slaves even today, they all have the image of God in them. And then we, we would go back and say, well, even the victims, the, the unborn, the slave, the, the, the people that are being victimized have this image of God in them as well. And so I'll leave us with that. I want to end on time and respect that. So... Um, let's pray for, for grace and for mercy. Lord, we do come before you, and um, we, um, we are honored to be loved by you, honored to be your children, honored to be chosen, honored to be get, given this, this image of God that's inside of us. We call upon you, God, to, to cover over us and, and to remind us that we are forgiven people and that we are to go out and to forgive and love even the unlovable, even those that society deems as unlovable. God, give us grace and mercy to do that. God, give us peace um, as this kingdom of God. And we praise you, we worship you this morning. And everybody said, amen. All right.
Go in peace. We'll see you next week. We'll talk about the problem of evil and um, what that means. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.